As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. You've seen even nice benches with advertisements on it, right, Joe? Yeah. All those things can be done when you start looking at the traffic count exposure that your place gets, as well as how it can be seen or branded. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com and there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. With us today, Al Williamson. How you doing, Al? Wonderful. Thank you, Joe. So good to talk to you again. Yeah, nice to talk to you too, my friend. A little bit about Al. Well, he was a previous guest on the show, and I'm going to ask the best ever listeners to think back a long, long, long time ago in his episode 53. Woo! Yeah, it was October 26, 2014. Wow. Holy moly. October 26, 2014, episode 53, titled Cashing In on Revitalized Areas. If you just search Ali Williamson, Joe Fairless, you can find that episode today best ever listeners it's a skill set sunday day we're gonna be talking about the skill of ways to get more cash flow out of a single family property al is the founder of leading landlord which helps rental owners find new cash flow streams he's a civil engineer and the author of building wealth with inner city rentals based in sacramento with that being said, Al, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Hey, Joe, first of all, let me say I'm so proud of you for you sticking to your dreams and, and really mastering your craft now. You are just excellent. I'm so far from our first episode, so polished. I appreciate that. Yeah, and if you listen to episode 53, you will hear a noticeable difference, I expect. I can't listen to it because I'll, I'll just cringe hearing myself. You did great, but I'm sure I'm terrible. So for me, in 2008, I had this apartment complex that didn't have tenants that paid rent. <laughs> so I started this quest to figure out 
how I was going to pay the mortgage without relying on my tenants because I just did not want to give the place back to the bank. I was so involved with the neighborhood revitalization. That was my first book. And getting the drug dealers off the streets and trying to bring jobs to the neighborhood. That was so rewarding, Joe. Just like uh-huh. flipping a house is rewarding. Making a difference in a neighborhood is to the X power, right? It's so rewarding. I didn't want to give it back up, so I started this quest of collecting ideas and even inventing some ideas on how to make more income without relying on your tenants. So tenant independent income streams, as well as getting more spread out of what you already own. Because my credit cards can only take so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I well, had to figure it out. You have my curiosity peaked, so please, please continue. Okay. So I figured it out, and I wrote this book called 40 Ways to Increase the Net Income of Your Rental Property. And I kind of wanted to share with you five ways out of the 12 different batches of ideas that I came up with. Hopefully that your users can just start brainstorming with this and come up with an extra $100, $200 per month. Yes, please. Okay. So the buckets that we want to talk about are that you can envision. Let's just talk about single-family homes because that's probably the hardest type of investment to come up with ancillary income. Mm -hmm. So if we can do it for a single-family home, we can definitely do it for a multifamily or one of those huge apartment complexes like you have, right? Yep. Okay. So you can envision your single-family investment as a transportation hub or as a broadcast station. Or you can also think of it as a hospitality center or an ad agency, even ad platform or a storage facility. Just by thinking of it as the uses that it has for when you put on those different lenses and look at your investment, you see these different opportunities. So which one do you want to dig into first? Well, let's just go in order. Broadcast station. Okay. The broadcast station, I set up a big Wi-Fi antenna on top of my building. My building was one of the tallest in the area. And I realized that they had commercial antennas that can broadcast Wi-Fi a half mile radius. So the goal was if I could resell Wi-Fi using a coffee shop type model where you go to Starbucks or your local coffee shop, Joe, and they gave you free Wi-Fi in exchange for you buying coffee, right? Yep. It's complimentary. So you can provide Wi-Fi complimentary. That's a common business practice. I was going to sell a newsletter delivered by email about what's going on to the neighborhood. People would pay for that, and I would give them Wi-Fi complimentary. You follow what I'm saying? I am. That's not the direction I thought you were going to go. Very, very interesting. So you were going to create a newsletter with community information that's hyper-local, and then as an add-on bonus, you say, oh, by the way, pay for my newsletter, and you'll get complimentary Wi-Fi. That's right. That would have brought in $2,000 a month. Huh. If I would have captured everyone in my area. And that was my first major failure because the trees, Sacramento, California, <laughs> where it's known as the city of trees. <laughs> and I had landscape interference. So I am waiting for a different type of technology to come out before I relaunch that. But it can work for different areas. If you are up on a mountain, Wi-Fi falls in the shape of an umbrella, it goes out, and then it drops so Why? if your single-family home is up on a hill, you definitely have some opportunities to do that, especially in a desert area. Why not just charge for Wi-Fi and 
have the newsletter as a bonus? Why did you leave? Well, that's illegal to resell Wi-Fi. Oh. Just a loophole. Okay. I wouldn't put that together. Okay. I'm with you. Because everyone can understand coffee shop. And even you walk into Home Depot or anything like that, they allow you to use their Wi-Fi signal. Huh. All right. We are going off-roading with the brainstorm stuff. I like this a lot. Interesting. That's it. Okay. These, these are things you can do with your single-family home. You consider it as a tripod for different things. Even a tripod with, like, ad agency, if you drop down there, you have billboard opportunities on your property as well as on your rooftop if it's visible by a highway, whatever your traffic count is. You've seen even nice benches with advertisements on it, right, Joe? Yeah. All those things can be done when you start looking at the traffic count exposure that your place gets, as well as how it can be seen or branded. Even our president is showing you that naming rights is valuable as well. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't cancel that out. So you definitely need to think about those advertising opportunities that you have. Outdoor advertising is a huge industry. Wouldn't there be a lot of code restrictions for slapping a logo on your roof or painting your house certain brand like a tagline for a brand things like that you know there are and there's always loopholes joe that's what's great because they give you so many days if it's a political year uh-huh. what you can do you can rack up uh, political <laughs> political donations or contributions either taking a contribution or creating a large deduction for yourself for so many days before a campaign hmm. Okay. Also, the stores, there's a local mom-and-pop store, and you have it on a bench that's sponsoring a bench that's in front of your place. Or even I've seen fences. I got lots of pictures on my website as well advertising the nearby store. So people monetize their fences as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's plenty of outdoor advertising opportunities. And some cities have more stricter codes than others. Uh Uh-huh. If you're in a rural location, it's just like the Wild West. <laughs> okay. So billboards, absolutely. It's a good way to get 50 to $100 a month, depending on your traffic count. What about hospitality? Hospitality is real easy. With your existing single-family home, you can compete against other landlords if you choose, or you can compete against hotels and extended-stay hotels and go after their guests and make three to five times more just by – doing that (laughs) Mm -hmm. so we we think of airbnb and vrbo but you can also go really hyper local and serve the businesses that are around you so i have a whole community that just does that we go after and compete against the evil dastardly extended stay america my biggest enemy (laughs) did you know joe that 36 percent of all the travel in the united states are people staying one to six months Okay, I did not know that. So there's that huge opportunity there. There's a big, big opportunity. You've heard of digital nomads. I think you're probably a digital nomad, aren't you? I don't know. Depends on how it's defined. I mean, You're settled down now, now that you're married. Yeah. But lots of people like to travel with their laptops and do different things. So becoming more Tim Ferriss juniors are out there. Mm -hmm. As far as the hospitality goes and competing with extended stay guests, everyone's heard of Airbnb. But you said you go hyper-local and serve the local businesses around you. What do you mean by that? Let me tell you about Ruben, for example. He's in Florida, and he said, Al, there's no thing around me 
I can't do travel nurses like you do, Al. I often take care of local hospitals, travel nurses. I said, Ruben, just go talk to the business around you. And he says, all we have is a flight safety school. I said, take them a gift basket, go in there. So he did. And the owner of the flight safety school followed him back to his place, signed a six-month lease and told him he needed 60 more units to take care of his people coming in for training. So I tell people all the time, it's like catching your own typos. It's nearly impossible to do, but there's people, if there's a hotel in your town, and especially an extended stay America or extended stay hotel, there are all kinds of business travelers coming in for training, for HR training, for relocation, insurance issues where they're temporarily relocating. Your local theater has a whole cast coming in. It's endless. I like to say the opportunities are as large as the sun. Mm-hmm. There's just no way to define it all. There's just so much going on right in your own community. You mentioned storage facility. Now, storage facility is interesting. I like to break it into two categories. There's will you allow your tenant to have additional storage outside of their property, like in your yard, say a garage. And my favorite is creating a storage facility that someone who doesn't rent from renter dwelling can use. And they can access without cutting across your tenant's property or inconveniencing your tenant, like off of an alleyway or a part of your fence line, you have some storage. The reason being is people nationwide, it's about a dollar square foot per month for storage. And you can easily set up a 200 square foot or two 10 by 10 storage units with roll-up doors for about $5,000. And that 200 square feet will bring you in $200 per month without much. uh, Mm -hmm. So people have an opportunity to go drive five miles to a big institutional commercial storage, or they can just drive down the street and put their stuff in your place. Much more convenient. Huge value. Have you done that one? I started it, but I sold the place that I was going to use. But some people in my community are doing it quite a bit. Can you give an example, maybe just an example? I know you just conceptually did it, but can you think of an example of someone in your community who's doing it and just tell us a little bit more about it, like numbers and things like that? A company called Roost, I can't remember who bought them, but they were the Airbnb of storage. They allowed people to set up spaces in their garage that they could rent out. There's a number of companies now. They have competitors. I haven't tracked it. But there's an Airbnb of storage, if you follow what I'm saying. If you have extra space yep. in your garage, you can just look them up and see what's going on. And also Craigslist has a storage section where people rent out places to park your RV or store your things. Huh. So, And it's whatever you can negotiate on Craigslist as well. I did not but if it's, if it's covered and weather protected, you can pretty much ask for, I think, a dollar square foot. And that's in most markets? Yeah, that's nationwide average. Okay, got it. And I think you mentioned there were five categories or five ways. So far, I've written down broadcast station, hospitality, ad center, storage facility. What's the fifth? Transportation hub. One person in our community, he rents one parking space in his duplex to Zipcar, which is a car sharing company, and he brings in $250 a month for renting 
his parking space, other people around his area to have access to that shared car. Also, there's just creating a parking space on your lawn, just kind of extending your driveway with some drive strips and allowing people to park there instead of feeding the meter on the street or depending if you're close to a downtown area. Mm-hmm. And that can bring you 30 to $50 a month or more. Where are you now? Are you in Denver? Or are you I'm, in, in, I'm in Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yeah. Okay. So if you're by a stadium or things like that where parking is a premium or even a business center, downtown business center, anywhere there's paid parking or meters around or even where you need a permit, there's opportunities to monetize your lawn, so to speak, providing parking. I know that the tactics are very thought-provoking and I think a lot of people's wheels are turning with, okay, how can I maximize the earning potential of my property? And I believe the thought process that you're talking about or that you're using is more important than the tactics. I'm mentioning that first before I ask the following question because I understand that it's more about how can you maximize the income through these creative methods. But here's my very tactical question. Okay. And that is, I'm thinking through, so I've got three houses in Dallas-Fort Worth. And I got apartments, but I also own three homes. I'm thinking through these things, and I can't think of one that wouldn't really upset the neighbors and or the tenants. Like Transportation Hub, for example. Renting out a parking space to zip car. It sounds great in theory. We fall over ourselves trying to get an increase in rent every year, or I do, of 3 or 5%. But you're telling us a way that someone's getting 250 bucks a month. I mean, it's incredible. But then I'm thinking, man, if I looked outside my window and I just saw people all hours of the day and night coming in my driveway, going in the car, music's blaring, or maybe it's not, I don't know, but they're strangers in my driveway as a tenant, I would have an issue with that. And it would uh, with- Joe, you, you really hit a great point, which is crucial to when I was putting all this together. And that's how we partner with our tenants. We're traditionally adversarial and not so much joint venture minded when it comes to landlord tenant. So if your tenant is the type where you could joint venture into a, where they share in some of the revenue stream, however you decide to split it. But if it's in their best interest, then all those issues fall away. Yes, they do. The only thing that surfaces in that scenario it would be legal issues. And I imagine that's where you want to have a good attorney to oh, yeah. draft something up. But more importantly, you want to make sure that they understand what they're getting you understand what you're getting, and it's transparent because I what, – Let me give, be, me give, you, let yeah, me give you a practical example. Please. Okay. There's a lot of cities are coming out with ordinances against Airbnb if it's not your primary residence. So especially in San Francisco area, we have some people in our community that are doing an innkeeper type of arrangement with a tenant that they place in there. They'll have – a tenant take care of all the bellhop and maintenance and housekeeping duties and the owner takes care of the front desk duties, let's say with an Airbnb. Mm-hmm. And that whole venture works because it's through that partnership or through that tenant who lives there full time. That's their primary residence. 
allows them to get through that loophole. Okay. And the tenant wins because they potentially have the opportunity to greatly defray the cost of their rent, almost live rent-free, almost house hack. So mm-hmm. the more is rented, the less rent they pay. What's the a typical percent split that you would do with a tenant? I didn't actually pull it off with my place. I got close, and it was where I wanted to, if it was filled 20% of the time, let's say 20 days, we reduce 50% of their rent, so to speak. Okay. Just enough so that they have some interest in it and make them part of it. If you could get it so that they could completely cover their rent, that'd be even better if the numbers work. I'm going to the size of the place. I'm going to venture a guess that the most profitable of these that you've done or seen done is the hospitality category where you're renting it extended stay versus these one-off things. First off, is that correct? I can't say because there's different startup costs. So one of the most profitable things is to rent someone else's place and run an extended stay operation from it and arbitrage that way. Mm-hmm. because you're protected against your maintenance costs and you can quickly break even and just really have nothing but cash flow. Yep. And the only thing you risk is whatever lease that you sign with the landlord. Yes. And that's limited because if your extended stay operation doesn't work, then you just fall back into long-term furnished rental. Or even if that didn't work, you fall back just to break even, just renting his place for what it cost. So you have two safety nets underneath you. And you'll want to be transparent and forthcoming with the owner, the landlord, prior to signing the lease. Yes, everything has to be done with high integrity. Absolutely. For that particular one, showing the landlord the benefits of you taking even better care of a place than he could possibly, because your self-interest is making sure his place looks and works and functions awesome so that you don't get phone calls. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Yep. And also, maybe that landlord can reduce or eliminate their management company. So that's an 8% savings there. Al, you're working a different side of my brain than I usually work on the interviews. I really am enjoying it. So thank you for sharing these ideas. A lot of the ideas I've never heard of before and categorizing them and then giving us some examples. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you got going on? The best place I keep all my writings and what I'm learning and the current research I'm doing. I'm a landlord scientist full time now. I kind of hung up my civil engineering hat now. It's at leadinglandlord.com. You can see what I'm doing, what I'm working on. Last year, for example, we were trying to figure out how to make one rental property generate enough money so that it could replace a mid level job. And we started off not knowing. And then we figured out that turn that one into a short-term rental and save the profits and then let that arbitrage other rental property. And I'm actually living out that experiment just to show people the journey. And I think we'll hit $10,000 in 15 months. But well on our way. Outstanding. Well, I highly recommend going to check out leadinglandlord.com, learning more about these tips and these practical ways to win or to I'd say win, but you really are winning to earn and increase the income for your property. And we were talking single family, but it's clear there's an easy extension to commercial and it's actually easier for commercial than single family. So from 
the ad center with the billboard or naming rights, maybe branding a fence to the storage facility, transportation hub with Zipcar, and then the broadcast station. I'm really interested to hear how that goes when that gets executed. But again, it's not necessarily the tactics that I suggest being focused on. It's really the mental approach for thinking about different ways to earn income and just thinking a little bit differently or a lot differently than what's typical because there are ways to do it. It's just a matter of executing and then also testing too. I'm sure there's going to be some testing involved in seeing what works best for your particular property in your area. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Are you seeking investors, negotiating deals, and making things happen? The 7 Figure Sales Podcast has what you need. Host Taylor Lloyd interviews real estate investors, sales trainers, and successful entrepreneurs to bring you their top sales secrets. Learn more at sevenfiguresalespodcast.com and listen on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.